Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Welcome back, amigas, to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I'm excited to have you listen to this beautiful episode with my optometrist. Her name is Dr. Maylene Gonzalez, and she's Cuban-American, And she talks about her journey coming to this country. And I wanted to have her on the podcast so that she can share her journey, not only coming to this country, but also what led to her discovery and love for optometry. So who is Dr. Maylene? Dr. Maylene Gonzalez established I'd LA during the fall of 2012 in the beautiful city of Los Angeles. She began working in eye care at the age of 15, where optics propelled her into schooling at the New England College of Optometry in Boston. For many years, she progressed as a doctor in New York City, but still hungered for sunshine. It was Los Angeles that offered the promise of a healthy lifestyle, environmental awareness, and technological ingenuity. Ultimately, reinventing today's eye care industry, she now offers private one-on-one sessions in a new modern location in Santa Monica. Exams, contact lenses, consultations, frame selections are completed solely alongside Dr. Gonzalez. This by appointment only environment creates safety and peace of mind for patients to receive optimal health care. When she's not poking eyes, her favorite pastime is cooking for her loved ones, discovering new restaurants, and staying fit to keep up with her first two hobbies. So without further ado, this is Dr. Gonzalez. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. This is Jackie. I'm here with my beautiful doctor. This is Maylene Gonzalez. Dr. Gonzalez, uh, she's my optometrist, and I couldn't wait to have her here because she's got an amazing journey and story to tell you ladies out there. 
And you have to come and see her because believe me, I couldn't see before I I came to her office. I was blind as a bat and she was like checking my eyes out and she was like, wow. (laughs) And then, then I, and now that I have my glasses, I'm like, I can actually see, I don't have to wear these like funky $2 glasses from, from the pharmacy. (laughs) Now I actually see. So I'm so excited that she's here to share her wonderful spirit, her soul, and everything about optometry and her journey here to Santa Monica, because she's not originally from Santa Monica, California. She's actually from the East Coast, but I have her here. I'm so excited. Welcome, welcome to Amiga Hounder Your Shit Podcast, Dr. Gonzalez. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited too. And, and Amiga's out there. If you're looking for an optometrist, you've got to come and see her. She, Her company is called Dr. I-L-A Optometry. Did I say it correctly? I-L-A Optometry. You got yes. it. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put in the show notes where she's located and all that wonderful stuff. So let's get started, Amiga. So Dr. Gonzalez, where are you originally from? Okay. I was born in Cuba. Yeah, girl. In 1979, I was born in Cuba, raised there for just a little bit and left uh, Cuba when I was four to come to the U.S. And that's when I joined a small part of my family in New Jersey and not a Miami Cuban, a New Jersey Cuban, a little further north. And, you know, that's sort of where I grew up, you know, bilingual, you know, speaking Spanish at home primarily at still speaking Spanish with mom and dad primarily and grew up in a very white neighborhood in New Jersey and shell shocked big time. You know, I was just like, you know, why is everybody so serious? You know, (laughs) why is there, why are we so cold? Why is it so cold all the time? But, you know, acclimating to the States and growing up in New Jersey and, and sort of a different life at home versus life outside the home was, was very, very different. Um, So yeah, originally Cuban, but grew up in Jersey. Yeah. So what uh, made your parents come to the States? Communism, mostly, as you know, a lot of there's not a lot of opportunities in a lot of Latino American countries. And the Caribbean is is definitely part of that. And, you know, communism was definitely something that really wasn't working for my parents. It was incredibly oppressive. And, you know, they didn't have any opportunities to really grow anything in Cuba. If anything, the Cuban government, as you know, with everything happening right now, um, it was just taking and taking and taking, you know, so it's a beautiful idea as far as like everyone should have the same and we should all share. Uh, But it's terrible when, you know, you work really, really hard and the government just takes everything that you that you make and earn. And they take kind of I mean, imagine if our taxes were 40 to 60 percent if not more, you know? And so mom and dad didn't really see an opportunity for us. And they were really scared for my sister and I to have to join the military because that's mandatory in Cuba. Even women. Women doesn't matter. And when you're a kid, I think maybe even like sixth sixth grade and the summers, they send you to camp. I'm putting this in quotes. And it's basically they're working, they're working camps. Like you're working at, you know, a sugar field or something. You know, my mom told me, she was just like, you know, as a kid, you think it's fun because you're going away to camp, but it's like manual free labor basically is what you're doing. Yeah. So my parents were really worried and scared about our future as women, as people in the world. And so thankfully my dad is, my dad's father was born in Spain. And back in the day, if your parents weren't like, native Cubans and they weren't born there, they were able to kind of get you out. 
So my dad's dad was here in the States and was able to claim his son and was able to basically bring him with political asylum. And because my dad was married and he had kids, we were able to go with him. But the last couple of months of being in Cuba, knowing that we were betraying the Communist Party, we weren't necessarily safe. My dad was kind of being sort of hunted down and, you know, we had to hide. And I mean, I don't remember because I was four, but it was it was really scary. Like we were definitely hiding. Like, you know, I hear stories about encampments with Jewish friends that I've had that they're like, oh, my grandparents had to hide in a basement. It's like we had to go through some similar stuff like that. And even just leaving the country the day we were leaving the country, as far as like getting on an airplane, like not it wasn't just the Cuban government, but my dad's friends. And even some family members thought that we were traitors and we were betraying the country. So there was just like, it was just very scary for my mom and dad to do what they did. But thankfully we were able to leave and we lived in Spain for probably about a month because it was like the easiest way to get out was to go through Spain. Right. And then after that, we went to the States where my dad had his dad and some sprinkles of family, but mostly, you know, that typical immigrant, like I had $10 in my pocket and, you know, went to make it work and stuff. And, you know, my parents went and worked in factories while my sister and I were basically learning English. Wow. Oh my God. That's like a telenovela. (laughs) Really? That's totally. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, I mean, you were four years old, but I'm sure there's some sort of childhood trauma with that. Oh, hundred percent. Um, yes. Now living in, in Los Angeles, California, where you feel everything and you're supposed <laughs> to discover your soul and find, you know, I've actually done a lot of, I've worked with healers and I've worked with, you know, I really believe in magic in that way. And, you know, I've had these incredible journeys and experiences of like, kind of almost going back to that, to those moments in my life and really missing my tribe. You know, when we left Cuba, I've had memories like with, with my healer when I was working with him. Oh my God, it makes me sound like such a Californian when I say that. It was with my healer. A girl, um, don't worry about it because the listeners are are with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. I mean, listen, I grew up with like my grandmother practicing Santeria. So yeah. like going to a healer was just like, oh yeah, of course. It's like going and to the dentist. <laughs> for sure. And when he was like in my heart chakra, I like I literally would see my family at the age of four and leaving and going to this like foreign place. And I remember as a kid, getting sick a lot, you know, as personal as this could be, it's like wetting the bed again at the age of five and sleepwalking and doing all these weird things when I was a baby. And like now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I must've been like super scared, super traumatized, completely like, and as an adult, I've had, I've dealt with a lot of anxiety as, as a human being and like, didn't know where this came from, you know, and, and through psychology and psychologists, they're just like, well, yeah, hello, like this stuff happens to you when you're a kid. And, and all these new environments, even though mom and dad were always like super loving and supportive, it still felt like things had been ripped out of me without me knowing. And there's a longing sometimes that you have and it's unconscious but, you know, it's it's crazy when your world just gets turned upside down, I think, when you're that little, you know? Absolutely. It's Whether it's four years old, five years old, even when you're in your 20s, like yeah. if you get ripped out of something that you know so well, I mean, that is traumatic. 
Yeah. Wow. This yeah. is fascinating. So now you're dealing with this. Like now you understand what yeah. happened and what did you ever ask your parents? Like, Hey, do you realize that you scared the shit out of me? <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. I've done, um, again, going back to like wellness and healing, I've done it all. And I worked with a therapist for a few years here in LA and we did EMDR, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's electromagnetic disassociated resonance or something. It's basically something where they basically go in your brain and they figure out like where the trauma lives and we try to like undo it. And I did a bunch of sessions with her in regards to, you know, why am I, why do I have such abandonment issues? Like my parents were always around, they're still married, you know, like nobody abandoned me. And then, you know, we did all these things. So I wound up having to ask my parents these very intimate questions about like, mom, how was a pregnancy when you were pregnant with me? Were you and dad getting along? Like all these really interesting questions that I don't think enough of us ask our parents and we really should because the answers are interesting. And yeah, they were totally stressed out and scared for their lives. And even before I was born, you know, like I said, we left four years later, but it was like this oppressive state and country that they lived in where they felt, they felt like they had, they were just they had no rights. They, they didn't have any autonomy. They didn't have any autonomy to their own life and their own choosing, you know? And so there was a lot of, of things that they experienced before I was born. And then after I was born and just being in another country, they don't speak the language. They don't know anybody like, how are you going to make a living? You know, this stuff is, was really hard and they tried their best. Like most, I think, immigrant parents to shelter their children and love their children and to try to be like, Hey, we're broke, but you didn't know it. You know what I mean? And like (laughs) try to do everything that they could for us and like give us the best Christmas that they could, you know? And, and so, but yeah, I mean, now as, as a 40 year old, when I've been able to slow down my life a little bit and feel more settled in certain and other parts, I've been able to explore these things a little bit more and understand the birth of my anxiety or the birth of my abandonment issues or the birth of my, why do I get scared in certain situations? You know, I've been able to actually really dive into that stuff more. And, and it really comes down to like the beginning, you yes. know, of where it all started. I love this conversation. I had no idea. And I'm like, oh my God, you, you don't understand how my brain starts like. <laughs> it's awesome. I love this it. Is beautiful. Oh my God. Okay. I want to I explore more of that, um, but I know we have to get to, okay, you got to this country. You yeah. know, eventually you got to this country, right? Four years old. Now you're going through these schools and you're in a white neighborhood. So that must've been a bit shocking as well. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, ESL all the way up into third grade, you know, and where, you know, you have special aides coming into the, to the office. Oh my God. I'm not, okay. <laughs> have, you know, to the classroom. This right now. <laughs> Yeah, to, to kind of like teach me how to speak English, you know, and I remember there like that wasn't a huge focus on reading and writing. It was just more like, girl, we need to like pronounce things correctly, yeah. you know, and ESL. And, and it's crazy, Jackie, because all the way until graduate school, you know, so here I am like high school, undergrad, pre-med, all the way into graduate school in a graduate program and being so embarrassed that I didn't know how to read and write properly still. And I know that sounds crazy because you're like, how, what are you saying? Like, does this make any sense? There would be so many words that I didn't know that were in a multiple choice question. There would be so many things that I was like, what does potentially mean? You know what I mean? Like whatever the word was. And I remember asking some of my teachers and they were just like, girl, you're kidding. Right. And I was like, 
can you just like read the word out loud to me? Cause I don't really know phonetics very well and maybe I can figure it out. And it was super challenging language all the way until the end of graduate school was very challenging for me, like English. And I know that sounds bonkers, but as a science kid and as a math kid, reading and writing was something that I loved, but it wasn't anything that I could actually really pay attention to until after graduate school where I was like, okay, I need to like get rid of this thing that I have, this thing where I'm like, if you were to ask me to dictate something and you're like, okay, Jackie's like, okay, doc, I need you to write a letter for me. And I would feel self-conscious being like, oh my God, acknowledged at A-C-A-C-K-N-A-C, you know, and literally I would get stuck. And so when I finished grad school, I was like, I need to learn how to read and write better. And this is a huge thing. It's a huge chip on my shoulder. So I started reading books and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and consuming like anything like fiction, nonfiction, didn't matter. It was just like books and books. And I had a couple of my friends that were writers and I kind of was like shy enough to admit that I wasn't great at reading and writing. And they're like, girl, I'll teach you phonetics. And they literally started to teach me because when I was little, that wasn't the focus at, in these ESL classes. It wasn't about how to learn phonetics correctly. It was more about, at least for me, my perception was like, I need to speak this language correctly. It doesn't matter if I can write it or read it. Let me just speak it. And so once I was able to, at the age of 26, to teach myself how to read and write properly. Then after that, I had the confidence of potentially being like, maybe I can be a business owner because I know how to write an email now. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy because I've, I've talked to sometimes I, we did some fundraisers in my old office and we had uh, one of my good friends had this really beautiful nonprofit, which was reading opens minds. And it was for these kids in, in high school, specifically Latino and black communities where they don't have a ton of opportunities. And so they came and I wanted to talk to them about this stuff. It's like, homie, you don't need to know everything today. You don't need to know everything to create a career. You don't need to know everything to open a business. You don't need to know everything to apply to a graduate program. You don't need to know everything to go to college. It's going to happen if you're determined and you can do it. I thought of myself as being slightly illiterate to, to exaggerate, but let's just say, let's just use that word to say up until the age of 25. And I already went through graduate school and I still thought of myself in that way. And I was still able to be like, okay, I need to fix this, you know? And that was for my own personal gain because I felt embarrassed and I felt shameful, you know? So, yeah. I, I no, I completely understand everything that you're saying. I'm like, I'm there with you. I'm there with you because, you know, I, even though I was born in the States, you know, coming from immigrant families and whatnot, you don't speak English right away. I learned how to speak English when I went, when I stepped foot in kindergarten. Yeah. And just like you, I had this, this teacher, this uh, substitute, I mean, not a substitute teacher, a teacher's aide who taught me how to speak and read English. And I mean, I think because I'm very logical, I think that really helped in learning and processing information. And I was really good. And I picked up the, the language very quickly because when you're a little kid, you, you're like a sponge, you, you pick Super. it up really quickly. But I've always had that, even though I'm a lawyer, all I do is read and write, read and write, read and write, argue, read and write, right? To this day, I still, I'm like, I still get embarrassed because I get tongue twisted. I read things and I'm like, wait a minute, what does that mean? 
Hmm. I'm glad for okay. Google, but Google wasn't around when we were kids. Girl, no. <laughs> My sister would be like, look it up in the dictionary. I was like, girl, I can't spell the word. How am I going to look it up? That's a conversation I would always have with my teachers. We'll look it up in the dictionary. I, I, if I don't know how to spell it, how, how on earth am I going to look it up? up? It's such a bad answer, but no, 100%, you know, and, and I really, really, really had this chip on my shoulder for a really long time as a second. And also there's so many idiomatic phrases that I say that are completely wrong. Oh, that's a double-edged knife sword. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you kind of get stuck sometimes and it, and it kind of flags you a little bit. You know what I mean? Because sometimes some Latinas like us that have been here since we were children or you were born here, you know, we can pass and nobody would even know we were a Latina. And, but the second you start saying some of these things or use the wrong word, you're just like, oh, uh, I'm not, I'm not an English. And the funny thing is that I, I've come to the realization that maybe it doesn't have to do with our race, more so that our economical, social economical thing, where we might've gone to high schools that were not that great. And the teaching wasn't amazing because I remember taking the SATs and bombing. Okay. There was 450 kids in my school. I was 13th in my class as far as like academically like 4.0, 4.1, whatever, like super, super, like great grades. And I bombed my SATs. So imagine if we lived in a world that only looked at SATs, I would have never, thank God for affirmative action because I would have never gotten into these colleges. Yeah, you know what? You're not, you're not alone in that. Because I know, I mean, these standardized exams are very, very biased. And I remember when I was in high school, there was a teacher that said, okay, how many of you know what SLIP is? S-L-I-P. And um, and we were like looking at each other. Like nobody knew. However, if we grew up in the East Coast with a boat, we would know what that word meant. So it's true. You know, these exams are made to be approved and good for those that are in the upper echelons, right? Because they're the ones that have access to it. So totally, I I get it. I get it. I know what you mean. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Amigas, I have exciting news. Yes, there is some amazing things coming on and I want you to be a part of it. And it starts August 31st. So what are these amazing things? I have free masterclasses, free masterclasses. Yes, you heard it. Free masterclasses starting August 31st. We have several in September, ending in September 9th. They're at various times and I want you to be a part of it. So what is this all about? So basically, Amiga, I know you've been running on autopilot more than ever before. You're being pulled into different directions and you're losing sight of your dreams and putting a pause on them. So here's the thing. Are you ready to make shit happen? Are you ready to reclaim and stand in your true power and create the life you deserve? So let me help you with that. I have created these amazing masterclasses that I will teach you about clarity, confidence, and certainty and how to best align with your authentic self in a very contained tribe. And I will teach you my four plus formula that I've been using the past 20 plus years as a lawyer, transformational life lawyer that is, and you'll learn how to create epic, epic alignment in your life and create the life that you deserve. So don't wait. 
register. The link is on the show notes, and I'll see you as early as August 31st. So remember, they're free. They're absolutely free. There's nothing that you need to pay because they're free. And if one date doesn't work for you, pick the next date. If uh, let's say September 3rd doesn't work for you, hey, you can always try September 9th. Which is also a Thursday, and it's at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Because as you know, amigas, I live in California, so everything's gonna be Pacific Standard Time. So, amigas, stop waiting and start reclaiming. Start reclaiming your life and step into your truest power. So, I will see you then. So, you you were this amazing smart kid in high school you go through this SATs and you bomb them but yet you're a doctor so how does this happen yeah work 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 like Rihanna said you better work 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 um, <laughs> it's funny I made a I made a joke this was true by the way I had a friend of mine who oh my god I've been doing so many interviews I'm just like I'm like always down to do this I had a friend of mine who was interviewing me about being queer and you know and being queer in high school and being a Latina and being a minority and she's like, oh, did you ever feel like you were being bullied or did you ever feel? And I was like, girl, high school was about getting the work done. I wasn't trying to socialize with anybody. Like I was a student, like my mom and dad were like, you have no job. You have no responsibility. You don't have any bills to pay. The only responsibility you have is to get good grades. And so for me, it was just like, that's what you do. Like coming from, you know, my dad's a dentist doctor and my mom ran his practice with basically was an educator and she was a math teacher. So I come from these, this foundation of parents that are like, you got to study, like there's no failing, you just study. And which is very similar to, you know, the communist mentality of like, you know, you think of Asian kids in, in China and you think of that mentality of like school, 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 school. And in Russia, it's like school, school, school. And they, they put that into my mind too. So it was like, I don't care what these scores are. I'm just going to keep trying and trying and trying and trying until I pass the class. And, you know, college was a big shock because it was way harder. So, you know, I was an A student and then I get to college and now I'm a C student. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. So you better believe after the first semester, I was like, I'm going to get a tutor in everything that I can think of. And every class I got tutors for everything. Even the math classes where I was good because I had placed into higher levels, the teachers were terrible and they weren't really actually doing the job of teaching. I'm sorry. I'm not saying this about teachers. I'm just saying like, unfortunately, in my ed- experience, like, in one semester, you might get one or two good teachers, you know, but for the most part, they're like, (laughs) and, you know, I was like, I'm here to be taught. I'm not here to like read the book on my own and figure it out on my own. So thank God for tutors. And that was my entire graduate school. It was undergrad and undergrad and graduate school. I had tutors all the time, all the time, because I wanted to sit with somebody and ask questions. I wanted to sit and understand what was going on. I was just like, and unfortunately, lectures of 300 students, you can't just raise your hand and be like, wait, can you go back and like explain that again? Because it didn't make any sense. There's no space and there's no time for that. And so I was like, all right, well, then I'll create that space and time for myself. So I was in school all the time and I was in summer classes all the time, not because I was failing, but I was taking extra courses to try to figure this stuff out because I didn't think of myself as a smart person. I thought of myself as a determined person with parents that were behind me going, dale, dale, go. <laughs> we got to this country because we want you to be successful, like make the most of it, you know? And I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. You know, and, and oddly enough, my dad, as a dentist in Cuba, when he come to this country, as you know, you have a profession, it doesn't matter. 
America wants you to go back to school because that's how they make their money. And so my dad was studying to, to get his license as a dentist and went back to school in his forties. And I was like, homeboy doesn't even speak English and he can do this. So like, there's no excuse. I have no excuse, you know? And so that was a huge inspiration for me to see my dad, like get his license and his doctorate all over again and going back to school. Like imagine, God, if I went to another country right now and I had to do it all over again in another language. Girl, girl. Oh God, no. (laughs) Like, no, that's okay. I would just pick up the garbage. Like I'll do what I need to do. You know, it's, it's, it's humbling to watch what our immigrant families have done for us and how hard they work that it's like, to me, I was like, I owe you guys this. Like, this is my tribute to you to tell you how much everything, every opportunity you gave me. I mean, gay in Cuba? No, 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 no. No, that wouldn't have been okay. So like literally my parents fought for our freedom in every sense of the word, even the freedom for me to love who I want to love, you know? And it's like, when you're in this, in the education system and you know, that's your way out, then you just put your head down and you do the work, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I 1000% agree with you. I think that for I would I'd like to say that most children of immigrants have that determination and wanting to strive because you want to make your parents proud. That's like the number one thing. Yeah. And you know, obviously you got your exceptions to the rule. You know, I gotta bring in my legalese in there. There's exceptions to the rule, there's exceptions to everything. But for the most part, that is your intention because you know that they struggled so much to get to this, to get to this country to provide for you, for the family and for everybody else. And so when you, when you go astray and you go against the grain, um, uh, then, then it's like, uh, everything that they did for you, you're kind of, you know, telling them fuck off. Yeah. And that's not cool. That's not cool cool at all. Even, and it's not even from like a, I owe my parents. It's just more like a human to me. It's like, there's a give and take in everything in life and there's a yin and yang. And it's like, you guys, and it wasn't even on the forethought of my mind. It was more like, I want to make them proud because it feels so good when I get hugs and kisses because I made them proud, you know, and there was a reward of them being proud of me in front of their friends or family or whatever. It just felt good. It felt good to have that confidence and that reassurance that like, I'm doing the right thing and I'm, and I'm doing something that at the end of the day is going to serve me too. You know, this isn't just about them. It's also about like, I'm going to have a better life in this way. So it didn't matter what the obstacles were, you know, it was just kind of like, all right, like my first class that I ever took in college was calculus and I failed it. F, F, fail, F. And I'd never gotten an F on like anything ever in my life in math. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm okay. I'm paying attention. But what do I need to do? You know, and then you just reach for all your resources of like, okay, how do I get this? How do I get that? And then, and I think that teaches you something as you get older of like, if there's a will, there's a way. And now that sounds corny and look at me using American phrases, but (laughs) if there is a will, you will figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It it is so true. It's so apropos because there, if you do have a will, you, you're going to make it happen no matter what, no matter what, no matter what you want it, you will it. And it's going to yep. be exactly. Right. Wow. So here you are, you got that F in calculus. Obviously that didn't derail where you were going and you decided to become an optometrist, not a dentist like your dad. Why right. optometry? That was a disappointment to him. My first job when I was 15, I worked for my dad's best friend who was, uh, had an optical shop. His doctor was American 
and all the patients were Latino. So he needed me to sit in and just translate. And oh my God, talk about boring. But the funny thing is, you know how Latinos are. We need to hear like a little flower. You need to like sauce it up when you talk to people, right? As I shake my shoulders. And I remember this guy being like, tell her she's got glaucoma. And I'd be like, señora, le tengo que decir algo. You know what I mean? And like totally like, like Latino it up for her sounds and <laughs> yeah, just like we have to talk about something serious and like hold her hand and do patient care even before I realized I was doing patient care at the age of 15 to try to lighten the blow or make it more interesting because like homeboy was kind of boring the doctor that I worked for and I was like this needs to get better this needs to get more because I'd watched my dad do medicine all his life with jokes and fun and having a good time and I was like Medicine can be fun. Like, let's make it fun. So I got inspired. I thought it was so beautiful. I felt really comfortable in the optical world. Every job I got after that was like lens crafters, selling glasses. Like I worked every job you can think of in an optical position, all of them. And by the time it came time to apply to graduate school, I had to like tell my dad that I wasn't going to be an eye doctor. And of course, what did they hear? They heard I'm dropping out of school. And I was like, no, 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 no. that's not what's happening. I'm just going to optometry school. And at the end of the day, of course, they were like two seconds later, were super happy for me and were really supportive. And so I applied to all the schools. I applied to schools out here in California. They didn't accept me because I wasn't from California. And I think they, they, they reserve spots for California kids. And um, so I got into East Coast schools and I went to school in Boston. And that's when I was like, oh, this is a white city. Like I remember <laughs> like leaving Jersey where it was like, it had become very Latino, very like black, very, you know. And then I went to Boston and I was like, oh, wow. Like I never felt so Latin in my life. You know, like people didn't understand my style. They didn't understand why I spoke with an accent. Yeah. And I um, know it was wicked, wicked hard. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And I was like, NPR, what's that? Um, I came back like reading the New York Times and listening to NPR and all my Latina girlfriends were like, girl, you got whitewashed. And I was like, <laughs> did I? Um, but that was a shocking experience to kind of live over there. And, but my eyes were always on California, like always, always. I was like, I'm going to live in Cali. I think the draw was Mexico. Since I was a kid, I've been very obsessed with Mexican culture. <gasps> and my tatarabuela was Mexicana. And my mom's grandmother was, was Mexicana from Veracruz. And I've always had this intense fascination with, with Mexico, like everything, Aztec, art, all of it. And for me, LA felt like it was and is Mexican territory. It is. Let's, let's keep it <laughs> let's real. Let's just be honest. Let's keep it real. <laughs> yeah. So for me, there was just like this like crazy, like, like soul thing with California and I was delayed in moving out here just because I was dating somebody that wanted to live in New York. And that's how I wound up being in New York for practicing and working in New York for eight years. But eventually I was like, all right, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to LA. And that's where my calling is. And the second I landed here, it was like the, I drank the Kool-Aid immediately. I was like, where do I get my LA tattoo? I was like, do I get it in the back of my neck? You're going to do the sign. Yeah. I'm like, do I get like thug life? Like what do I, where, how do I get right. official? You know what I mean? So it's like everything felt so in tuned when I came out here, like just spiritually, physically, everything just felt like I was just ready to be. And I never, ever wanted to be a business owner ever. It sounds, it seemed, it felt so daunting. But when I moved out here, I was just like, oh, people want to know about their health out here. 
people are interested. It's not a five minute exam. Like people want to know what their well being is and they will take the time to have like longer conversations and maybe maybe besides optometry and eyeballs, I can actually have a real relationship with my clients. And that's when I was like, I think I don't want to start from scratch and work for other people. I think I'm, I think I have enough knowledge now of like what I want to do. And I had a very amazing mentor. One of my very good friends from back East who had opened up her own optical shop was like, girl, I will help you do this. Let's make it happen. So I had the help of my friend who was a woman. Let's get it going. And I decided to start doing the research and open up my own company out here, literally not knowing anybody in New York. I opened up my business within a year of living out here. And I remember when we opened those doors, I was like, uh, how do I get patience? <laughs> um, so, you know, the first couple of years I joined like every possible like networking. You know, networking group. I went to all the events. Girl, I was so tired. I was going to bed at night, super late, waking up super early, working six days a week and getting on every insurance panel I can think of. And again, if there's a will, there's a way. I'm going to hustle my way into the LA market as best as I can. And I'm not smarter than anybody. I don't have more education than anybody, but I can rely on my personality and I love people. And, you know, everyone always talks about bedside manner being very, very important. And I was like, I got this. I've been doing that since I was 15. And so little by little, the business started to build and the business started to build. And I think by like year three, I was like able to be like, <sighs> not wake up in the middle of the night screaming, you know, and, and anxiety, and, like, where's the money going to come from? Yeah, And, and I was, you know, broke, yeah. like at the beginning, I put all the savings that I had from the last eight years of working into this business. And like, you know, at the time I was with my partner and we had roommates, like we were just living the life of like, all right, you're going to bring beer and then he's going to bring chicken and, and you're going to make rice. And we're all going to have, you know, that kind of like, startup. Let's start from the bottom. And mind you, I had been making really good money in New York. So I came from like, Oh, money's good to like, Oh, I got to live with roommates again. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, God. But to me, that wasn't a challenge because it's like, just like going through ups and downs with, with mom and dad, you know, where it's like, we were making really good money and then dad had to go back to school and we were making no money. And it's like, you know, that kind of social economical roller coaster that you can ride sometimes. And I'm just like, I'm not afraid of being broke. Let's do it. You know, and by broke, I mean that I don't want to be insensitive to anybody that's listening, you know, in the sense of like not making, making like a thousand dollars a month or something, you know what I mean? Which is again, a lot of money compared to a lot of people out there or maybe even $500 a month. It was just, it was just like nothing. I was working for free for a really long time, but it, it paid off because I got to build this business and I got to really change some lives, especially the people that worked for me and some of the interns that I had in there. Cause I was just like, I want to inspire people because I did come from nothing in the sense of like, you know, again, we build ourselves in this country and like, thank God we were able to build ourselves. And if I can do it, anybody can do it as a woman, as a queer woman, as a Latina, as like, you know, a minority of all in every case in every way to be able to open up a company and a business in Santa Monica, California, which is a big city in the United States and be successful and girl, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, if I can do this, I need to tell other people they can do this. Yeah. 100%. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Amigas. See, she's my optometrist for a reason. She's badass. So you make sure you go visit her. She's in Santa Monica, California. And yes, it's not easy. It's Santa Monica. It's one of the richest cities in Southern California. So, but let me tell you something. What I love about 
Dr. Gonzalez is the fact that she has such a high level concierge service and that's the attraction. So if you're with these companies, these big companies that are like a dime a dozen, just please save your money and come and see her. She accepts insurance because I went and made sure she accepted the insurance that I have to go because, yes, you know, your eyes need the best and I wanted the best. And so I went to her. So thank you so much, Dr. Gonzalez, for having me as your your patient, because I'm very proud of having beautiful eyewear now. (laughs) You look great. You look great. Jackie, I will say, if I can say lastly, that concierge service idea came out of covid in the sense of like, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening in healthcare that are terrible. And I don't want to participate in the terrible. I want to participate in the awesome. And awesome to me was automating my booking system. Awesome to me was making it super personal. You are only with me. There's no staff. I don't have staff anymore. I see less patients per day. It's almost like seeing your therapist, but I'm your eye doctor. So there's nobody interrupting us. You and I are alone in this entire office by ourselves. I don't get interrupted. You don't get interrupted. I get to do my best work for you. And I know what's going on in my company 24 hours. I know that not everybody can do something like this, but I can, and I can offer this to you and anybody, like as far as like, it's a one-on-one and your co-pays $10, you know, and it's a whole hour with me. You're not here. I'm not like, okay, okay, bye, bye, bye. It's a whole hour. We can do whatever you want. We can talk about whatever you want. We can take care of you any way that we want. And we, by we, I mean me. I don't know. I keep thinking we, but (laughs) you know, healthcare has to change. It has to change because we need to care. We need to love. We need to have more compassion. We need to have more empathy. We need to listen to our patients more and we need to be able to really address their needs. And to me, that's not what the healthcare system unfortunately is doing for us right now because it's too many people all at once. If a doctor sees 60 people in a day, do you think they remember anything? No, dude, they don't remember anything. Like I can remember things. I can remember what's going on. I can pay attention. You know, as a matter of fact, with you, Jackie, there was a small mistake with your glasses. And I was like, Jackie, I got to fix this issue. Let me, let me take care of it. And I was keeping you in the loop and letting you know what was going on. And this is the stuff that I think, unfortunately, in healthcare, it's like it gets diluted because there's a receptionist, there's a staff member, there's a manager. There's a blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, when can I get to, when, when do I talk to the doctor? Oh, you get the doctor for 17 seconds. Yeah. Get yeah. Out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yes. Oh. It's, it's a horrible system that we live in, but I'm so glad that you are of old school because that's what old school is about is yeah. having that one-on-one, that conversation that that doctor that would go visit you at home. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of patient care that um, Dr. Gonzalez has. So anyone out there, please go visit her. I'm going to make sure that I put it, her details in the show notes. So you'd be able to reach her because you'll reach her, <laughs> not some secretary or some oh, other. That's me. You got it. <laughs> it's just her. It's her. So definitely for all of you out there who are seeking to have wonderful eyes, Look no further. (laughs) Just go to Dr. Gonzalez. So my love, before we end this call, I always ask my guests if you could provide one or two tips on how an amiga can handle her shit. Amiga, amiga, handle your shit. Know your history, mama Mm. and and poppies. Know your history. Know, Know where you came from. And, you know, that'll help you figure out where you're going as far as Like I said, at the beginning, we started talking about like spiritual searching and stuff and understanding, because I think a lot of us have fears 
And a lot of us have preconceived notions of what we can be. And girl, there's no ceiling. There's nothing to break. There was never there. That ceiling is imaginary. And, you know, it was put there by other people, other thoughts. And so be brave. You know, I want to be surrounded by brave people, whether it's my patients, whether it's my family, whether it's my loved ones, you know, for me to any amigas out there that are hearing, oh, no, girl, you can't do that. Girl, you know how many people told me I couldn't? The doctor I worked for that I was 15 years old told me that I probably wasn't going to get into college because of my dyslexic writing and whatever, illiterate writing. He's like, oh, you might not make it into college. And I was like, girl, I was like, wait a minute, homie, you're going to watch me get into college. (laughs) That was ammunition. Yeah. Too many people said no to me, including family. When I was wanting to move out to California, they were like, why are you doing this? You're crazy. And you can't stop. Won't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. Those fears are imaginary, homie. They're imaginary. They don't exist. They're not real. You, you know, like I said, if you know your history, you'll realize where they came from. And when you understand where they came from, you're like, oh, look at that. I can undo this. I can undo this fear of abandonment. I was abandoned when I was four because we left my tribe. But now I understand that. And now I know what I can do with my tribe now. And I'm no longer at the mercy of adults or whatever. You know, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of me. And I'm not in charge of anybody else's feelings, but my own. And to me, it's like, let go of that fear. Understand your history. Understand where you came from. Understand the the foundation of who you are and see what parts you want to change and see what parts you want to keep and see what parts that don't serve you anymore because that's important. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Bring it, girl. Bring it. Bring it. Let me all day, every day, girl. We should do part two. Part two. Yeah, Um, we'll do part two. Part two. Definitely. I love your tips. Yes. Know your history. You know, interesting that you're saying these things is that Every time I get on the mic and I have my guests tell me their, their tips, none of them are the same. And I have about now 40 plus episodes. Nice, <laughs> but isn't I that crazy? That. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Like they're all different. And I love that. I love, love, love. I love what you said. Know your history. Fears are imaginary. Yes. If you know your history, you'll find out why you have that fear and be brave and bold. Right. That's right. Be you, be you. Ah, love, 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 love you. Thank you so much for being here with exactly. me this afternoon. I know you're you're a very busy woman, and I'm going to make sure that we put it in the show notes uh, where you're located. And for anyone out there who wants to have a fabulous eyesight. Jackie, <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this incredible thing for our community, especially as women, especially as Latinas and or anyone else that's listening to this incredible podcast, you know, I think you're doing a really beautiful service. So I appreciate you doing something so beautiful. We connected the second we met. And I love, I love that you're doing this because we all need support. We all need love. We all need to hear these different advices that everyone is giving because as human beings, we have so much to offer each other besides, you know, stupid. Oh, I don't agree with you. Okay. Who cares? Let's connect. Let's love. Let's connect and let's help each other grow and to be better in every way possible. And I think, Women, most of all, right now, need it the most. We need to support each other. We need to love each other the most right now and not shoot down our, our hermanas and put, put them up, put them up, put them up, put them up. Yep. Put them up all the time, everywhere, anywhere, any place we need to. That should be, should be ingrained in our heart and our soul and in our mind, you know, to support one another, not break down one another. And 
I love what you're saying and I'm all about that. And I really, really, really honor you. And I'm glad that you came here to share your wisdom, your journey, everything that has happened for you, because I always say it's not, it doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. That's right. Yeah. I believe that too. Thank you, mama. Thank you. Love you. you And have an amazing rest of your night. And thank you to all the listeners that are listening out there. Absolutely. Thank you, my love. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.